Welcome back to Cather's Corner, or if this is your first episode, welcome! My name's Sten, and you're listening to A Quiet Corner of the Internet, where we talk about our feelings and our thoughts and how we can grow into better humans. Make sure to follow or subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen from to never miss an episode every Friday or Saturday as it's been more recently. And if you want to stay updated on the show, you can go to our little community over at Cather's Corner. Type it into Google, type it into Instagram, you'll find us. And if you enjoy the show, let us know by leaving a star rating on it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. How are we doing, fam? Today we're going to take on a bigger topic than my usual musings. If you're not a music fiend or living on the odd future adjacent side of the interwebs, you may have missed Steve Lacey's scrumptious new album, Gemini Writes. I love this album for many reasons, but the biggest one is how it perfectly portrays what modern love looks like and feels like for a lot of young people right now. It's a conversation I've been having internally and among a few friends quite a bit recently, so I've decided to explore it, this dense, dense topic, through the lens of Gemini rights. But before we look at songs, it might be nice to understand the concept driving this 10-track masterpiece, because boy oh boy, do I love a good concept album. So, as Lacey himself has put it, I want to love unconditionally now. Gemini writes is me getting closer to what makes me a part of all things, and that is feelings. Feelings seem like the only real things sometimes. I write about my anger, sadness, longing, confusion, happiness, horniness, anger, happiness, confusion, fear, etc. All out of love and all laughable too. The biggest lesson I learned at the end of this album process was how small we make love. I want to live unconditionally now. I will make love bigger, not smaller. To me, Gemini writes is a step in the right direction. Isn't that beautiful? And delightfully on brand for us folks here at Kathy's Corner. So let's explore the beautiful mess that is love and loving through the eyes of our favorite Gemini. Static is a simple but bold declaration to start off the album. I mean, looking for a bitch because I'm over boys? Come on! (laughs) I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, this track fascinates me. To intro an album centered around loving and wanting to be in love, this is a pretty bitter breakup track. It honestly reminds me of the boldness of Lord's Greenlight for melodrama. And yet it fits perfectly because of this. In Static Steve, which is what I'll be calling the speaker in each song, but am in no way trying to claim as the perfect representation of Lacey himself, is reflecting on a vapid ex. It's a tale as old as time for every young person. This mini samsara of relationships with black hole types that suck your light dry as they demand you to sink into the same dark place as them. Sadly enough, it's usually unintentional. A good friend had to point this out to me recently as we were lamenting back and forth to each other. It's easier for my brain to accept the black and white reality of a villain than the gray space of a person who either A needs to grow the fuck up or B needs serious psychiatric evaluation, and thankfully it's usually the former. Nonetheless, Steve and Static on a self-revelation. If you had to stunt your shining for your lover, dump that fucker. Through the shadow of a shitty relationship, 
he found what he really wanted for himself. Or so he thinks. But don't we all? Well, I'd love to get into the production side of this track because it's insane. This isn't dissect. But if you'd like to hire me in nine months, please email me, guys. Let's look at the heart of the track in Lacey's allegorical love journey. Helmet likely feels familiar to a lot of Gen Z slash millennials. If you haven't experienced it yourself, you definitely have a friend who's fallen victim to one side or the other of a situationship K-hole. Steve, post-breakup, has found himself in the trenches of a messy sitch. Helmet expresses the disappointment and unexpressed shame that comes from these bouts of deep miscommunication. It's rough on both ends, right? He knows he can fit the criteria, the fantasy that his not-so-partner partner wanted. And yet the attachment remains. What I like about this track, though, is how it can serve as a mirror for the listener. It can read from both the perspective of an avoidant persona or an anxious one. It fascinates me because it really narrows down to the fact that we all just want to be loved and feel safe. But if you have a maladaptive attachment style, these needs are a bit more complicated to satisfy because fear is driving how you get them. For example, I tend to lean more avoidant, so as much as I want relationships in my life to feel secure and be able to breathe easy around them, the learned instinct is to jump back before that relaxed state can be taken advantage of. It's a back and forth. Kind of like the style of relationship, a perfect storm for messy communication. What is it about this anxiety-inducing style of relationships that seems to appeal to Gen Z so much? In our defense, our coming of age has been traumatic. Everything is felt unstable and temporary. It was inevitable that our relationships with one another would inevitably become the same. Mercury is the smartest joint I've heard for a minute. Firstly, this song is the central piece of Gemini Rights as an album. Mercury rules Gemini for what? Like, you know, the planet and the sign? <laughs> and Virgo, of course, but she's not relevant right now. Gemini is represented by the twins too, hence their infamous two-faced reputation. Yet it's why I love Fushi being weaved into this track. It emphasizes the duality motif we see throughout the song, especially in the outro. Mercury is Steve's realization of his own toxicity in relationships. It's a natural progression for our love story. He's mournful and begging for forgiveness in this heartbreak while simultaneously embracing his patterns of causing romantic disaster. There's also the theme of balance, very Gemini, between pleasure and depression. This is both him as a lover and the experience he has while being a lover. Steve also sets himself under the framework of a character in a classical myth. His Gemini nature curses him with a split and fickle nature. In tarot, Gemini is represented by the Lover's card. The card lore across decks 
draws on themes of quick judgment when it comes to relationships, depending on the deck and the reading, of course. The lover's card doesn't just tell us of the presence of our own lovers, but also brings into question how we choose them. The Rider-Waite deck portrays the lovers as the original lovers, Adam and Eve, in Eden, being washed over by an angel while a snake lingers by. Idyllic, yet fragile to chaos. Since Steve makes his decision too quickly, disaster always ensues. Mercury calls on us to consider our own toxic relationship patterns and the grief it can cause our potential lovers, no matter how much regret we try to express to try and rectify it. Buttons is Steve's attempt to bounce back from his messiness and have something healthy. Hashtag relatable! <laughs> this time, instead of being fickle, he opens his heart to this potential match. Unfortunately, this match manages to treat him poorly, but it's too late because he loves them. At the end, he's stuck in a loop, reflecting on if the lover only wanted the prize of his pride. Buttons is our greatest fear as young lovers. It's my greatest fear, at least. The fear that if you open yourself up, the wrong person will snatch your heart and hold it ransom. I know the clock kids have made it into the sim song of the century, but this song is so clever. So let's discuss it. Bad habit moves in movements. We start with Sim Steve, yes? He's hesitant about being open now after several bad attempts trying to do so. Now he finds himself in a space of regret because at the end of the day, he's a lover first and a human second. He's stuck expressing his feelings because, as we all relate, the insecurities are eating at him. Is he even enough for this person? It'd be easier if they validated his worth by reciprocating his feelings, which is a tricky wormhole of insecurity that will bite him in the ass later. Still, the script flips. It turns out this person does want him, and he fucking knew it the whole time. You can't surprise a Gemini if you trust in divine timing, as the lyrics so imply. Lacey is learning to let the universe work in his favor. He no longer chases, he attracts, he's growing. 
little by little. Bad habit creates an interesting paradigm because of this. How much of our love is worth giving openly? Is it safer to just let love bind you? When we love openly and are pushed away, it feels really heavy. It might make us believe that showing our love and loving without condition is silly and wrong. While the universe meeting us halfway is ideal, we have to come with our own loving half too. Will Steve learn this in time to enjoy this new affection fully? Well, I guess you're gonna have to wait until after the break. See you lovers. Together's interlude, or interlude as Lacey calls it, is a hesitant declaration. The borderline unhinged vocals on this track fit perfectly with Steve's characterized fickleness, doesn't it? To me, it's reminiscent of Tyler's Flower Boy era in the production style, hinting at a level of nostalgia that permeates every track on this record. Despite its groundless nature, Steve starts his chant with a confession, twinkling, twinkling hearts, and tell me when to stop. It's my time, it's the right time, it's about you. Hope is a funny thing, isn't it? A moment of silence for Cody. Just kidding. Steve's Cody seems to be a bit different than your average one. Cody freestyle is the folding point of the album in my eyes. It forces us to reflect on the past we've been experiencing alongside the artist as well as give the artist leeway to explore the past that's been shadowing the songs we've been experiencing throughout the album. If you're looking for another example of this, Hard Feelings and Melodrama is an open reflection on past feelings while trying to detach enough to move forward within the story of the album. Usually when artists make a breakup record, the speaker rarely will maintain any connection to their ex even when reflecting on them. It mimics a movie arc in this way, with its cleanliness. Even if a rebound or a new love is brought up throughout the work, the character does not usually return to square one. To me, this is how Lacey unintentionally queers the breakup album formula. While going back to an ex isn't specific to the queer experience, although the sapphic community may beg to differ on that one, something about how it's presented in the album feels specific to queer youth culture by forcing us to re-examine the previous trajectory of Steve as a character. The OG K-hole loving lover remains everywhere as Steve's growing and evolving as a lover. Steve continues to give him chances to grow with him despite said lover feeling Steve time and time again. And yet they continue to be connected. Steve still yearns for his affection. The ex's presence in his life is impossible to evade, a deep contrast to the ghost of an ex mainstream media likes to push. This back and forth also adds depth to Steve's character. Despite his tendency to choose the detached approach that he's attempting here, he still craves the affection his ex can give him. Deep down he knows this is the only way he'll experience love from this person that he desires. He's trapped, even if he knows he can do better with an array of other lovers. Hence, Cody Freestyle. They've become codependent.
Amber is painful in its relatability. Steve is coming to terms with the curse that is attachment. Reminiscing on when things were good, he tries to fight back, but the memories are still too sweet. Still, he's more aware of who his lover is, so he wishes to go back and change fate. There's still empathy for this disastrous love, however, a sentiment we feel from the Shakespearean-style intro. Once upon a time, there were two lovebirds, one shy, one so not. They met each other at the perfect time, and one just didn't know how to handle it. This assessment is so kind for someone who seemingly treated him so horribly. Maybe that's the part that matters, the kindness. This track marks the end of the reunion arc. Steve realizes why no union can ever work for them. He's still in love. Having Fushi as the featured artist on this track is clever. It implies a twin flame dynamic between Steve and his ex-lover, with Fushi having been the backing vocal in Mercury. It also fits nicely with the intro in Amber. Twin flames as opposed to soulmates tend to have a more tumultuous union. Since twin flames are one soul split in two, when they meet they quickly become a mirror to each other's wounds despite, or more accurately because, of their similarities. When twin flames split up again after the initial union, they take on a runner-slash-chaser dynamic, so they hopefully begin to heal. In this case, Steve seems to be accepting that he's chasing someone who can't give him the love and healing he needs. I have a lot of empathy for Steve as a character on this track. He feels used and abused again, and all he has to show for it is the painful realization that he's still in love, and the macabre declaration that this is how he experiences love. Give You the World is bold for an ending track. It's Steve laying down his weapons and asking for forgiveness. Not from Mr. K. Holba. This is a different lover. A Leo, it seems to be by his mention of the sun, but it happens to also be a beautiful card for a love reading. If you know, you know. Steve's finally learning his old patterns. Go slow, love hard. Love like the sun, if you will. And while it's not a perfect fairy tale ending, I think it's better. It's hopeful.
asked you all a few questions for this episode themed around this album's journey. The first being, do you find your experience with love to embody this cycle we see in Mercury? A little pleasure, little depression, little of heaven, little unpleasant. 91% of you said yes, and 9% of you said no. Shout out to the 9%. But for the rest of us that find ourselves in this limbo, I think there's something to say there, which is what I asked you in the next question. Can love in all variations exist without the rise and the fall? And why is that? There are two answers here that I think highlight the general idea all of you are kind of getting at, although there were mixed answers. In the same way light is only light with darkness, love is not love without heartbreak. If Steve as a character didn't recognize the hurt he felt every time he tried to go back to that lover who couldn't give him what he needed, he wouldn't be able to figure out the love he felt for that partner in the first place, and he wouldn't be able to identify the kind of love that he needed. Love and heartbreak have to exist within tandem to each other. But on the other hand, as one of you pointed out, there shouldn't be extreme highs to extreme lows, but there will be consistent highs and lows. So there's a balance here, right? A balance that Steve as a character is trying to figure out, and a balance that I find a lot of people around my age try to figure out when it comes to close relationships of any kind. How do we make room to feel good and safe and loved and cared for while also feeling the inevitable pain and tension and conflict that comes with being close to another person? The disagreements, the miscommunication, the mistakes, the missed opportunities, all of it that helps illuminate the love that we're searching for. As Gemini Rights shows us, it's a course of trial and error. On the other hand, I asked you guys, do you struggle to let people know how you feel? Because I feel like that's the crux of all this love stuff. Because if you're not able to take the first step towards opening your heart to others, even once you already are close with them, then it's kind of hard to navigate that love sphere of any kind. So I asked. (laughs) I gave you four options. 14% of you said, I wear my heart on my sleeve, baby. 21% said, I'll share if I feel like it's safe to do so. 21% said, I try to, but I forget to sometimes. And then 43% of you said that I'm taking my feelings to the grave. (laughs) I used to be the 43%. I'm actively fighting to be the trying to, but I still forget to. And I would love to wear my heart on my sleeve. Finally, I asked you, If you're struggling to share how you feel, or it comes easily to you to share how you feel, what's going on there? What's holding you back or what's driving you to be open? So the biggest thing, as one of you pointed out, was that feeling of awkwardness, that your expression of love might be outside of social norms. But then there's also the fact that life is short and no one's promised another day, so you've got to get on it, as you pointed out to yourself. And I agree, life is short, we should just love openly. But it is hard, because as another one of you pointed out, very protective of our feelings and the effect it has on relationship dynamics with people. But on the other hand, it's like, what's the worst case scenario? Someone knows that you care about them, which is true. That's my mindset. That's literally how my anxiety brain talks. It's like, no one can know. (laughs) 
that I give a fuck about them or else something bad will happen. I said that I'm more of a catastrophizing type to where for whatever, not for whatever reason, there's a very specific reason why I feel that way currently, but I feel like if people know how much I care, they'll use that against me to try and manipulate me or take me for granted because that's happened before. <laughs> While it is good to protect yourself, if you close yourself off too much, you are robbing yourself of the love and affection you deserve. So you have to be open. You have to be open. Even if you may be hurt again, it's still better to be open because if you're not open, you risk the people you do care for not knowing the extent of how you feel for them. And what an awful thing. Finally, finally. I always say finally on the second to last question. Have you noticed that? <laughs> finally, finally. I asked what you have learned about yourself through love. Because that was the big thing with Steve, right? I learned a lot about himself throughout the course of all these messy situations and all these messy back and forths. One of you pointed out that you love fiercely and completely and you do everything you can to show someone you love them. Or in short, you're a lover. Which is a beautiful thing to experience and understand about yourself. Another one of you noticed that no matter how much we want to be the same with everyone in the name of authenticity, we are often only part of our whole self with each person in our life. So different connections are different pieces of ourselves that we can see more of over time. I love that idea and I think that's also embodied really well in the album and in life itself. I think we can agree that the larger theme across the board with all these answers is a desire to like love openly, even if the back and forth sometimes is really dizzying and confusing. And even if we really, really want to protect ourselves from getting hurt. Having gone through the album now, I'd like to return to the intention. As Lacey put it, the biggest lesson I learned at the end of this album process was how small we make love. I want to love unconditionally now. I want to love bigger, not smaller. To me, Gemini rights is a step in the right direction. Gemini rights, or lover's rights as I like to see it, shows us how important loving openly and without shame can be because our culture both overemphasizes and deprioritizes affection, as Bell Hooks touches on in her book, All About Love. Yes, we have the romance industry, glorification of marriage, and don't forget the rom-com distorting relationships for the next millennia. But in American culture especially, the individual is king, leaving all connections outside the individual a point of weakness. This seems to be a response to the consumerist boom that happened around baby boomers reign, and it hasn't really left since. Even as each generation of young people returns closer to consciousness and prioritizing community and humanity in their own ways, we all still live with the unexamined fear a loveless culture creates. Lacey brings this into question at a micro level by examining his own life, not just examining, feeling every part of it. He feels the loneliness vapidness creates between him and his partners. He feels the pain of having his heart abused when he does allow himself to love, and even when he doesn't. He tries to experience love adjacently through detachment with little to success, and only when he embraces being a lover and welcomes the love he truly desires does he begin to find the joy or sun he's seeking. 
loving and being loved I'm finding scares me shitless. Like I'm still actively processing how much it freaks me out, but I don't care. I do, but I'm still willing to fight to love and be loved because I know I deserve to. My generation and every generation before has developed the habit of hiding ourselves from love as a defense in an array of clever tactics. Some of us are distant, Cody freestyle bad habit types, and others of us rush into love or throw our love where it's not being reciprocated in its fullness, mercury, and sunshine style. And it all boils down to a fear of love. So how do we let love in? Love is an energy that involves us, and it is action we commit to. We don't always choose the love we get, but what we can choose is how we engage with it. How we love others, even when it feels uncomfortable. Love is both work and instinct. Love is. If Gemini rights can comfort you in any way, aside from its groovy tunes, of course, let it offer you the comfort of learning to love. You will love and be loved wrong, and you will love and be loved so right, so keep going. Lover's rights, baby. That was a lot of love talk. A lot of love talk. So let's, you know, reel it in, absorb all of it with three good breaths, okay? In, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, six, in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, six, in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, six. Before you go, remember to follow or subscribe wherever you like to listen to from to receive future episodes. This podcast is available to listen to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and Stitcher. And if you want to stay updated on the show, you can go to our little community over at Catherine's Corner. You're amazing. You're doing what you can. Take care, and I'll see you here next week on Catherine's Corner. <laughs>